to another Smack Insider podcast. I'm Nick Clayton, and this week my colleague Marlena Haddad and I will be speaking to Jim Lawson, CEO of AdTheorant. AdTheorant announced a business combination with MCAP Acquisition Corporation last month, and it is at the forefront of a rapidly changing advertising technology space. We talked to him about what the death of cookies means for the business. We also discussed what data points like local temperature can tell you about the potential customer looking at your digital ad. Take a listen. What I found interesting looking through your materials was that you really have to understand the tectonic shifts that are going on in the digital advertising space right now to understand Ad Theorem's place within it. And so just to start off with that in mind, do you think you could just give a quick lay of the land in terms of the digital ad space and how you see it from your vantage point? I think the um, I think you're spot on with that question because I do think that the, the ecosystem is going through a number of changes. The, the advantage that we have in the marketplace is largely driven by two things. One is the power of machine learning powered, data science powered ad optimizations in the programmatic context. And the other is the shift in the way the marketplace, which includes consumers and brand advertisers, the shift in perspective on what is okay uh, for ad targeting and what is it what is an okay use of data for ad targeting and what are the privacy expectations of consumers and brands don't want to be on the wrong side of that conversation brands don't want to be utilizing personalized or individualized uh, data that is not consistent with the current expectations of consumers they don't want to alienate their consumers by using data in a way that's that's crossing the line and i think what you're seeing is a uh, a recognition that some of the, the historic methods, I mean, you go to Facebook and they know everything about you. And we saw, we learned a lot about that in the last couple of years. They know everything about you and they're not afraid to use it. Um, in the open internet where we advertise, a lot of the historic methods for ad targeting were cookie based, um, which obviously is behavioral advertising. It's the, it's the essence of behavioral advertising. It's you visit a given property and then a piece of code is dropped on your device and then you're essentially tracked around the internet. Um, or audience-based advertising, which essentially consists of licensing profile data, which has IDs appended to it. And then DSPs would leverage those IDs, whether a cookie ID or a device ID um, that they license or otherwise obtain. And they would leverage those IDs to target ads in a, in a programmatic environment. The reason why they do that is because it's the easiest way to do it. Um, and frankly, it was the only way to do it for a long time. Adtheorem came around in 2012, attempting to solve for, for, for that. I can't pretend to say that we had the, the, the complete vision as to what was going to happen in the industry. But at the time, we recognized that in mobile, there weren't cookies. You couldn't drop a cookie onto a mobile device in the same way that you could on a desktop computer. So our challenge was how do you target, because when we started our business in 2012, we were really mobile focused. How do you target effectively in the mobile environment without cookies? And we realized that machine learning was the answer. And what we've done is we've built into our bidders over the last 10 years, we've built a bidding and optimization platform that relies upon machine learning and data science, which leverages a very wide 
subs a very wide subset of data that does not depend on individual individual IDs and individual one-to-one -one ad targeting. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So the displacement of cookies feels like it's going to be a major determinant of the size of your available market. And so Google and Apple seem to have already basically thrown down their gauntlets in the cookie space. So do you have a specific prognosis for where you think that is headed in terms of what share of the digital ad market will be made up by cookie-based ads? maybe a year or five years from now? Well, one thing I would say is I don't think, I don't, I don't think that our market share entirely depends on the deprecation of cookies because even now, let's say for the next couple of years, let's say for the next year and a half, cookies are available. We can utilize cookies. We can just use, we can utilize them in a different way. Like we can, we can retarget if, if a customer wants to do a retargeting campaign, we can do that, but we don't do it in the same way. We can use machine learning to make it more effective, and we don't we don't rely upon it for targeting. We can, um, if a customer wanted to deploy a strategy like that while it's while the data is available, we can we can we can do it. We just don't view it as special. As far as the reason why they delayed this is because the a lot of the consortiums and kind of industry groups that were coming together to replace cookies with more aggregated information. Um, I think they realized and a lot of the industry leaders realized that that, that was just going to take longer. And if they were to pull the ripcord too quickly, there could be chaos in terms of, you know, the attribution and measurement capabilities and these API connections that they were creating, the industry groups were creating to essentially communicate back to advertisers um, information about conversion activity. Without that work being done in the industry, it would be quite chaotic and I think it wouldn't be good for Google. I mean, they have a big advertising business. It wouldn't be good for the open internet. I don't think consumers would be happy if, if, the open, if, if there were paywalls put on content all along the internet because um, advertising was essentially shut down because of the inability to kind of, you know, see, you know, make a, a responsible transfer from one world to another. So I think it's, it's prudent that they slowed that down. Um, I think we are ready um, at any moment um, for the cookie to go away. We, we have a number of advantages because of the way that we use data and don't use data. We optimize our campaigns based on a number of different statistics that come through the bid request and the bid streams in, in programmatic. Um, it could be things like that, the keywords in the URL, it could be the size of the ad unit, it could be the age of the phone or the type of the phone, it could be the publisher category, all these other factors. And when conversions happen, our machine learning platform assigns predictive scores based on the likelihood of a future conversion occurring based on what we've seen in the past. And that does, we don't need to know who any user is. We don't need to know that a user, that a specific user visits these websites or lives in this town. We just look at a moment in time, a person accesses a piece of digital content. There is a microsecond where Adtherent and other DSPs are deciding whether to bid on that digital real estate. And what we do is we say, the bid request has this data in it. What do our models tell us? 
is this going to be valuable for a bank trying to sell a credit card? Or is it going to be valuable for a quick service restaurant trying to get somebody to buy a hamburger? And our models are there to tell us that in real time, in microseconds. And it's just a better way of targeting. That's yeah, really interesting. And I, I want to get into some of the, the nitty gritty of your, uh, your, your model and, and how it works. But just, um, you know, just in terms of like the headlines, what's being talked a lot about now is just the you know, the recent Google earnings and their 69% um, increase in, in ad revenue uh, year over year. Does that tell you anything in terms of the, how the market is working or do you, you view that as, as largely being comparing to a particularly bad second quarter of 2020? Well, there's a little bit of that, obviously. Any, anytime you're gonna do a comparison in year over year in 21, you're, you're, you're comparing against kind of a pretty bad starting point. Um, so it's gonna look good for, for, for most. Um, I do think though that the world has fundamentally changed. I think the, the, the incorporation of digital, I mean, here we are having this meeting and it doesn't even feel strange, like we're having these digital meetings. I think, I think the world has fundamentally changed in that regard. Um, we spend a lot more time on our digital devices not a lot of people know this, but there's there's statistics that I've seen from eMarketer that the percentage of time that consumers spend on social is much lower than you might imagine. I think it was close to 15%. Um, it's it's you know there's this perception that the time that people spend on digital media is all on social media, and that's that's not the not the case as far as I understand it. There's a very vast and open internet and digital world, and that's where we. That's where we um, that's where we focus. We think outside the wall gardens is a is a very good place to be advertising, and advertisers can can grow their customer base there. They can they can um, engage with different customers in different places. It doesn't always have to be on Facebook, um, Google. Yeah, that, I mean they're they're going to have they have you know monopoly power so to speak in in their line of work, um, and they have a captive audience in in many regards. Um, we don't have that, but we don't need that because we're not in the user business. We're not in the user profile business. We're not in the customer list business. We're in the business of ingesting digital signals and allowing machine learning to tell us where conversions are most likely to happen. And then we buy those impressions and our customers benefit from it. It's For us, it's resulted in a lot of business success. We've been able to grow our, our revenue uh, to a very strong clip. You know, we're looking at 100 you know, 50 million plus this year, um, up a lot from last year, you know, 30 and a half million in e adjusted EBITDA. So, I mean, we're able to do a very good job and we're in that respect, kind of a unique SPAC merger target because we do have such a successful uh, fundamental based um, operating business, but, but we feel very good about, about the future and the changes that have happened in the world will benefit us because of the focus on digital and advertisers are really doubling down on digital. Great. So moving on to Ethereum more specifically, it seems like your AI and machine learning based ad systems were almost tailor made to hop into the market. And at a time when cookies were exiting stage left and, and brands would be looking for efficient ways of doing segment based based campaigns. So did you prophesize this or is this somewhat more of a result of developing a tool that just happened to be perfect for the job as the market changed? It's a great question. I would love to be able to say that I prophesize anything or that we prophesize yeah. anything. It's more of like just a kind of, uh, sometimes it's better to, it's a combination of, it's a combination of factors. Um, you know, as I mentioned, our business started in 2012 around mobile. So we were confronted with the problem of how do you advertise in digital without cookies? It wasn't necessarily because we thought 
cookies were going to be out of favor in 10 years. It was more so that they just weren't available in mobile at that time. But when we got in, when we got into it, when we started out, we realized the effectiveness of machine learning in that, in that use case. And then we immediately pivoted our business after a year or two to be an omni-channel uh, provider. So we could bring the power of machine learning optimizations, not just to mobile, but to desktop and to all the screens. So, you know, it's like a combination of factors, but um, for us, we knew early on that there needed to be a way to target without the, all the taint of behavioral advertising. Be behavioral advertising can be used effectively and responsibly in some cases, but in other cases, it can cross the line. I mean, examples of that, um, you know, if, if uh, and the NAI does a great job um, with self-regulation in our industry and members like ourselves take their code seriously. Um, obviously there are gonna be some that don't and things like, you know, retargeting a person who visits a, a website for a very sensitive healthcare condition um, is, you know, against the rules on, under the NAI code. And we, we recognize that that's just beyond what responsible advertising should be. I, I don't know whether that's happening at a large scale or not, but it's not happening at Adherent. Um, if we were to do any kind of retargeting for a customer, we're always sensitive to those types of concerns. But again, that's not our special sauce. We, we believe that also retargeting, you're really not, you're not expanding your audience. You're really, you're advertising to consumers who have already indicated an interest in your product at some level. So you're really just, you're operating within a much smaller universe than predictive prospecting, we call it, where we can cast a wider net and allow the machine to kind of help us refine that. So we think it's, we think it's just more effective. Yeah, that also seems like basically anybody who's done any online shopping, they've had the, um, you know, the effect where they, they buy something and then that product then like stocks them in banner ads for months after and you're not going to buy it again. Um, exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. There's an inefficiency there. There's a, like who benefits from that? I don't, yeah, I guess there are when they just really hit you over the head with something that you already bought, it's kind of annoying. Uh, it's not the adding value. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it, it, it's really a good example of the limitation of that method. Um, and obviously, you know, you don't have that problem with, with what we're talking about and the way that we focus. Yeah, sure. And in terms of how your engine works as well, you know, the presentation noted, noted that it ingests about 200 data points on each impression. Uh, and those are all essentially public data points, right? That you're that you're getting. It's not user data. It's just sort of stuff that's that's out there. Well, whatever the publishers provide, um, we 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 receive. Um, we do receive things like cookie IDs and those types of things. But but our machine learning models, by definition, don't use individualized IDs because what machine learning models are trying to do is find correlations or commonalities among conversions. And it, cookie ID is only one person. Or sure. so you can't use a individual ID as an input to a machine learning model. What you, so what the machine learning models ingest are all of the attributes that may or may not be in common among conversions. So if I receive an ad and it's promoting a credit card sign up and I engage with that ad and then I go sign up for that credit card. 
our system will note the publisher from which I came, my phone, time of day, my, my location, the keywords on the page that were that ad appeared, um, the size of the creative, you name it, a number of other factors. A lot of that information we get from the publisher. We also supplement that with demographics and other public data and some other data sources. We normalize data to make sure that it's correct um, from other sources. But again, it's all this, the width of data is attributes that many people could have in common. And then the models say, when, when these seven attributes are present, you're, more, you're much more likely, you're whatever percent likely, uh, more likely to have a conversion event. So those get a, a predictive score that's higher. Yeah, and you're, um, you mentioned a few of what those data points are in the, in the presentation, and, um, and a few just stood out to me, like one being uh, the local temperature um, at the time of the conversion. So like, you know, I, obviously the machine learning does this stuff on its own, but I'm, I'm sure you've seen some insights as well. Like, what does something like temperature tell you? Yeah, I mean, you don't, that's the beauty of, of machine learning. You have no idea what factors, atmospheric factors or otherwise, may or may not contribute to conversion lift. People can't figure it out. It's just too much data involved. We're sometimes very surprised when we look at a campaign after the fact and we see the data on the conversions. And for whatever reason, in Denver on a Tuesday, there may have been more conversion activity for a particular thing. And that's something that we wouldn't be able to know um, in real time if we were like looking for it, but the machine learning system can detect it, you know, in real time. It may take, obviously it takes conversion activity for the models to learn. So in the beginning of our campaigns, there's a learning period. Anytime you use machine learning, there's gonna be a learning period because you need to have enough conversion events for the system to identify those correlations. And then once that happens, and in the, like, for example, in the beginning of one of our campaigns, before there's enough conversion events, we may, the models may optimize towards um, a, a more secondary conversion event, like a click. Like, like we've said, we don't think that ultimately selling clicks is, is, is the end game, but it can be a step. So if in the very beginning of a campaign, before there are enough conversions, we optimize towards where the clicks are coming from, and then when we have enough conversion events, we optimize towards those data points where the conversions are coming from. So it's kind of a, a learning process until you have enough conversion data. One of the great things for us is working with advertisers on the, their awareness campaigns, because we're not just a performance party. We, can, we like the full funnel. We like to work with customers on awareness, generating brand awareness, using beautiful, rich media, beautiful video, CTV, units that engage uh, customers. And then you can learn from those awareness campaigns and then use, use that in performance marketing where you are trying to specifically drive conversion events and then you have more data. So doing both together is actually the most effective. Okay, interesting. And are you able to share any other data points that you collect that may seem idiosyncratic, but maybe you found produce some insights? Um. You know, it's, there's so many of them. Um, there, you know, weather is obviously a strange one. Um, there's a lot, just a lot of information about the publisher. There's a language on the phone. Um, 
the uh, uh, I could get back to you with with some more if that would be helpful. I mean, off the top of my head, there's so many of them. Um, I'm not sure which ones are are outliers or idiosyncratic, mm -hmm. but um, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of different variables that you might not think. You know, the placement, the location of the ad on the page, um, yeah. the operating system of the phone, the age of the phone, whether it's a Samsung or Apple device or you know, all those different factors, um, uh, app, whether in the app environment or the web environment. We also have, um, you know, like a, a point of, uh, point of interest uh, database capability baked into our platform. So we, we know uh, where like all the public libraries in Seattle are, when we know where all of the home depots in, in Brooklyn are and you know, we're able to leverage that point of interest data to make location data more contextual and valuable. So by knowing, by knowing that, like, you know, that a, a customer may say, I want to reach, uh, we, may, we may realize that there's a lot of conversion activity coming from Starbucks locations in a given town. Um, and then, you know, you can optimize towards that. So, I mean, those are, those are kind of interesting because with points of interest, I mean, they can be, they can be intuitive like a Starbucks and they can be maybe less so like the waiting room at a, at a, a, a car repair, a Midas muffler place or something along those lines. It's just, you might not know where those conversions are coming from, but the point of interest database makes the geography a little more digestible. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, and, and it also seems like the, yeah, your revenue on ad placements on smart TVs and gaming consoles is now sort of outpacing the broader revenue growth and at about 50% per year since 2019. Um, and happily for you, this seems like a, a market that's like a surface that's just being scratched upon. Um, what do you see in terms of the increases in, in smart TV adoption and how the sophistication of the digital ad market for those, those that real estate is going to develop? Yeah, I mean, we see the we see the the CTV uh, opportunity as being um, explosive. Um, our our kind of growth so far this year is you know, our year over year is three hundred percent growth on CTV. Our investment in that has been minimal to date, other than making sure that we have the appropriate scale and access to the CTV inventory. But our bread and butter as a business is adding value added capabilities. And that's, we're just in the beginning stages of that. So one of the things that we can do that we're proud of that we're investing more in in the future is post view conversion measurement so that when you watch something on your connected TV, if you then take an action that we are able to essentially tie that back to that, to that viewership and then be able to use that in machine learning so that we can make television viewing more of a feedback loop so that our, our performance models can work in that context as well. Um, we're, we're working with more uh, partners to have um, real-time viewership data so that we can know that a given impression has, um, has, has viewed a, a given piece of content or is viewing a piece of content. So we'll have more granular visibility into the CTV opportunities. Like what is the what is the content? What is the what are different uh, statistics about that particular content? So that we the more data we have, the better. And it doesn't need to be about any person, obviously. But the more data we have, the better. And we're in the early stages of CTV 
for us. And we think that the growth of that market segment plus our investment in new measurement and new partnerships that give us more access to, to, to um, aggregated data will make us more effective. Right. And then, so it feels like advertising to smart TV users, it must involve more of an individual's data than your broader approach. Is that right? Uh, not really. I mean, we, we still are not advertising to a person. Um, we may have access to, for example, the location of the of the, of the physical place where the television is located so that you can attach demographic information to that. But we do that with, um, we can do that in, in mobile as well or, um, or other digital where there's, there's location based. But I think having access to location to inform your decisioning is different than knowing that a specific ID with specific interests is at a specific location and really trying to like use all those attributes to build a profile. And that's what a lot of companies do that we do not do. We're not, we're not building and collecting profiles on anyone. At, at a moment in time, we may leverage the fact that a given mobile device is in a specific location and there's an opportunity to serve that device and add, but we're not kind of tracking all that data offline and maintaining a profile that we can use in the future and on different screens, et cetera. Okay. Well, and, you know, and so just, you know, one other thing, just in terms of we're seeing more SPACs looking at the digital ad space is, you know, as being, you know, the SPACs tend to, to target sectors at a time, you know, we've seen, you know, a series of deals in, in, in certain spaces. And I think a lot of the so people that watch, you know, SPACs and SPAC deals specifically um, will look at you and think of Tabula. Um, and I know you're, you're very different, but I just wanted to throw that to you. Um, you know, how do you view your, um, your approach in the, the open internet different from, uh, say, Tabula um, and, and their business? Yeah, I mean, we're just a much more, we're just a much more focused data-driven performance player. Like we, I don't, I can't speak to exactly what they're doing, but the way that we use machine learning in real time across impressions and score every single impression, we're in the performance business. We're in the, we go to our customers and we tell them that we're going to drive conversions for them. And we do that very efficiently. There are other models that are more, uh, they cast a wider net and they're more open-ended and they have a different strategy. Our strategy is precision and it's using conversion data to be very focused and make the ad dollars very focused and tied back to conversions. I think that's different from, from that organization and others that are, that are less, um, focused on optimizing at every single impression down to conversion activity and then and then being accountable to that to the to the advertiser so they know exactly what their return on ad spend is for every campaign yeah it makes sense and so i guess you know we're uh, coming to the end of the half hour and i don't definitely don't want to run you long but just um uh, technologically what do you think could be the next big thing that could shake up this space even more what are you tracking so i, I do think that we are leading what will be a evolution of ad tech towards uh, more of a data science and machine learning powered targeting uh, world. Um, I think that the, you see, you, there's, the, the rhetoric exists on a lot of websites and you see it in a lot of marketing materials, but you don't see it in practice very often. Um, and I think that 
the reason for that is it's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to operationalize in an efficient manner the use of data science in, in microsecond retargeting. It's just not easy to do. It's taken us a very long time. We have a great team of data scientists and engineers that have helped us build this in-house since 2012. Um, we're not the product of a number of acquisitions or tag-ons. We're just the same group of folks. We've had the same CTO who's extremely gifted since 2012. Um, I think the industry is headed in that direction. Um, obviously, the cookie uh, disruption and the divergence from individualized IDs is going to shake up the space. A lot of companies are in the process of working to figure out what we call backfill IDs or IDs to take the place of cookies. Um, we believe we already have that answer. Um, we'll support, um, as I've mentioned in other forums, we'll support the, uh, the backfill IDs because you know, we think the open internet benefits from having IDs that are, that are privacy friendly and used responsibly. But there are questions about scale and the level of adoption that some of those other IDs will have. So we don't need to depend on it. We will support it, but we don't depend on it. We think that uh, our method is, is, is the future and we're gonna go you know, try to, one of the reasons why we wanna be a public company is, is we, we want opportunities like this to talk to folks and get our word out. And a lot of advertisers don't even know that predictive advertising which is what we do and which we've pioneered, they don't know it exists. They think their digital targeting methods are limited to which third-party license and audience should I buy. Um, they don't know that this method exists and that's one of the, the reasons why we're here.